You are listening to Episode 2 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 3, Dunsany Road System, 2352, April 30. By the time I got done with the test, it was just after 1600, and I had two hours before I had to be back on watch. I hit the gym and pounded out a couple dozen laps on the track. The usual collection of first-section watchstanders were there, and I even spotted Tabitha. I had a hard time thinking of her as Tabby. On her customary rowing machine, it seemed odd that she was only an ordinary spacer. I don't know why, but when Mr. Von Nichols had said it, it was kind of a jolt. She'd been aboard much longer than I had been, and I found it somehow disconcerting that she'd been aboard all that time without getting the rating. Not moving up, that I could understand. You could only get the rank if the ship rated it, and I could certainly see staying with the ship even at a lower rank. Below us was that kind of ship. As I was running, I thought about what Mr. Von Nichols had said. What was involved in going to the Academy, I wondered. Would I want to leave the Lois? Could I? The whole thing was coming at me so fast, I put it aside and let the running trance take me. When I stepped through the hatch into environmental to relieve Diane at 1745, she almost screamed at me. Well? Well, what? I asked, completely confused. Brill stepped out of the office. I think she'd like to know if you passed the test-ish, she said with a crooked smile. I'm kind of curious myself. Oh, yeah, I said, I passed. Brill smiled, and Diane danced a little happy dance behind the console. You didn't think perhaps you might let us know a bit earlier? Brill asked. Oh, crufty nuggets, I am so sorry, I said, coming back to reality for perhaps the first time since the test. Of course, I'm such a ninny. Diane teased. We were beginning to wonder if you'd flunked it and put yourself out of the airlock in shame. I'm sorry, I get really groggy taking those tests, and I went for a run when Mr. Von Eichels was done with me. Then I came here. I should have come down here before I went to the gym. "'What do you mean when Mr. Von Nichols was done with you?' Brill asked. "'Well, first we talked about the answer that's wrong on the test,' I said. "'What?' Diane asked with a grin. "'I missed one question on the test. "'Mr. Von Nichols thought my answer was right and that the answer key was wrong. "'We talked about that and how he was going to file some kind of correction request with Confederation.' "'Brill and Diane looked at each other and then back at me. "'You missed one question on the Spec 2 test,' Brill finally asked. "'Yeah, why? Is that bad?' I asked. "'Mr. Von Nichols said I passed. I got a 98.' "'Diane just leaned on the console and laughed "'while Brill shook her head and grinned at me "'with a kind of, what am I going to do with you?' "'look on her face. "'No, it's not bad,' she said. "'It's excellent. It defies belief. It's so good. "'You went from engineman to spec two in one step "'with no background, no special training, "'and only two months of study. "'That's insane.' "'Well, I did spend a month studying spec one by mistake,' "'I reminded her. "'Yeah,' she said with a little laugh, "'and I'm beginning to think we should have kept you at it. "'My gods and garters-ish, that's amazing.' "'Thanks,' I said, but I didn't really see what was all that great about it. "'All the material had been there for me to learn, "'and it wasn't like watchstanding didn't give me plenty of time to study.' "'What then?' Diane asked. "'What? What then?' I asked back. "'He said, first you talked about the test,' she prompted. "'Oh, yeah, and then we talked about the able spacer exam tomorrow. "'You're going to take that, too?' Diane asked. "'Brill knew already, of course.' Yeah, I said, I only need Messman and Cargoman after that, and I'll have the full set of full share ratings. With any luck, I should be able to get them in the next cycle. Diane and Brill looked at each other again with a kind of quizzical, what the hell is he thinking look, before Brill prompted with, was there anything else you talked about? Yeah, he warned me that the test didn't automatically bump me up to Phil Gregor's slot. The Lois McKendrick was rated to carry three spec threes and environmental, but 
When Gregor Avery left the ship in St. Cloud, he'd left a slot open. The captain offered it to me since I had an engineman rating and there were replacements available for my old mess deck job. I'd been studying since then to get the rating so I could fill that slot. What do you mean, Diane objected. You earned it. I shook my head. He said, don't be disappointed if I don't get it until we dock at Petra's. That was up to the captain, Mr. Kelly, and Brill here as to when they'd promote me, if ever. Brill said, well, I'll ask Mr. Kelly to put it up right away-ish, but he's right. Mr. Kelly will have something to say, and so will the captain. I shrugged. It doesn't matter. The difference in mass allotment is pointless until we get someplace where I can acquire some mass. The difference in pay for these few weeks isn't going to matter terribly much. We're talking about maybe a couple hundred credits, Diane said. That's not going to matter? Well, it's not a lot compared to what Pip and I are trading on, I pointed out. That was the next thing we talked about. Well, that's true enough, I suppose, Diane said. I made a lot on the stuff I unloaded, but I haven't been very diligent about restocking my locker. Brill smiled. That's how you could afford those clothes at Chez Henri. Of course. I couldn't possibly have spent two kilocreds on clothes if I'd been relying on salary and share. I think I've made something less than 600 creds in regular pay. What did Mr. Von Nichols say to that? Diane asked. Well, he was pretty shocked. Said I made more than him. I suggested he join the co-op, I told him with a chuckle. You know, with his mass allotments, he could move a lot of goods. Maybe, Brill pointed out, but officers also have to have more and better clothes, and that eats up mass quickly. Better than Chez Henri? Brill and Diane looked at each other again and laughed. You win, Brill finally managed to say. Diane waved me over. Mr. Huang, all operations normal. No maintenance scheduled or performed. You may have the watch. I relieve you, Ms. Ardell. I have the watch, I said. They headed for the lock then, still chuckling. I settled behind the console and started the beginning watch rituals. Oh, and then we talked about the academy, I said. Diane kept chuckling and headed on out to get some dinner, but Brill heard me and turned back to look at me. Which academy? she asked after a moment or two. I was still running the logs and checking the maintenance schedule, so I wasn't looking at her when I said, Port Newmar. She was still there when I finished my checks and asked me, Is that what you want? She was very serious. What? I asked, because I completely mislaid the thread of our conversation while I got my watch going. The Academy, she asked, with as much exasperation as I've ever heard from her. I don't even know what that means, B. How can I know if it's something I want? Mr. Von Nichols just ordered me to consider going. I've already complied with that order. I've considered it. So far, he hasn't ordered me to decide about it, so I'm covered, I joked. Brill, for some reason, wasn't taking the joke. You'd have to leave the Lois, she said at last. Yeah, I said with a sigh. That's a big minus. But I have no idea what going to the Academy means, B. I never knew it existed until I came aboard here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm still working on what I want to be unless I grow up. I smiled, but she didn't return it. Finally, she nodded and said, Yeah, okay. And keep me up to date on what you're thinking about it, though, okay? Of course, B. I can't see anything happening too soon, and I don't think it's something I can decide between here and Betris, do you? She shrugged. I don't know, she said. I'm going to go get some dinner. I'll see you on the mess deck. Yeah, Cookie's frying chicken tonight, and I'm starved, I said with a grin. She turned and left then, still frowning. I thought she said something, but I only caught more careful what I wished for before the hatch closed behind her. Whoever she was talking to, it wasn't me. Sometimes that woman is a puzzle, I thought to myself, and then I laughed at the sometimes part. It only took a few ticks for me to settle into watch, and by 1815 I was ready to head up and get something to eat. I was looking forward to some quiet time with my tablet afterwards. The only thing on the schedule for the evening was my VSI and an unknown number of ASIC acknowledgments. I was right. The fried chicken was great. 
Brill seemed a little strained, but I didn't mention the academy again, and neither did she. In the back of my mind, I was just a little miffed that this woman who had been telling me just the previous week that I needed to be thinking about my future was now apparently upset because I was doing what she asked. Diane and Francis were both there, though, and we had a nice time in spite of the occasional frown that creased Brill's brow. I ate quickly and went back to work. If she wanted to talk to me, she knew where to find me. I took a piece of grand apple pie and a fresh cup of coffee with me for company. It still freaked people out that I could eat in environmental. Most people couldn't stand breathing the thick, green-smelling air, let alone eat in there. Didn't bother me, the scent. It was kind of reassuring. After the weeks I'd spent in there, I hardly noticed it. As I ate my pie and kept my eye on the readouts, I pulled up information on the academy at Port Newmar from the handbook. It was sparse, but one thing I hadn't foreseen was that the academy was actually a college. The tuition was ten kilocreds a year. I wondered how Mr. Von Nichols suspected I was going to find forty kilocreds, let alone the additional costs of room and board while I was there. The article also noted that when you graduated, you had a science degree in one of three specialties and opportunities for some minors. Having spent most of my time at the edge of the university, none of this was difficult to decode. The fine print said, successful completion of this course of study leads to a Bachelor of Science degree and the opportunity to sit for the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade, third mate's license exam. So, the bottom line was four years of school, at least 60 kilocreds, and you still had to pass the exam. I wondered idly how difficult the exam was. It didn't seem terribly likely. Then I wondered how anybody did it at all, and why. The ASIC nagged me then, and I put the academy out of my mind. I spent the rest of the watch going through the able spacer materials and running practice tests, except for the half-stand I took on VSI. Francis relieved me right on time. All told, it was a quiet watch, but I'd learned a thing or two. Tabitha was surprised to see me come into the office for the exam. "'What are you doing here?' she asked with a smile. I thought the engineering exam was yesterday. Oh, I'm a glutton for punishment, I told her. I'm going for Abel Spacer. Just like me, she asked. Tabitha, nobody could be just like you, I teased her. Mr. Von Nichols interrupted. If you two are quite ready, he asked with a grin. Yes, sir, we both said. He sat us on either side of the office and we began. It wasn't as rigorous as the Spec 2 test had been by a long shot. Still, I took my time with it and finished just ahead of Mr. Von Nichols' announcement, Time. Tabitha was still there, too, and we both looked up as we put down our styli. "'Congratulations, you are now both rated as able spacers, and I will so note in your individual jackets this afternoon,' he said with a smile. Tabitha and I both grinned, and I lingered a bit, dithering with my tablet while she left the office. When she was gone, I turned to Mr. Von Nichols. "'I considered it, sir,' I told him. "'Well, that was fast,' he said. "'Well, sir, I looked it up in the handbook. I never realized that the academy is a real college. I don't know what I expected. And your problem with college is what, he asked. Wasn't your mother a professor? Yes, sir, I'm pretty familiar with the institution of college pretty well, and I know that the costs go way beyond tuition. There are books, room, board, fees. It gets very expensive very fast. All true, he admitted, and at the academy you have expenses for uniforms and other required gear, along with the maintenance expense of keeping all that cleaned and in good shape. Is that the only problem? Well, no, sir. The handbook said you don't get a license but just a degree and you have to sit for the license afterwards. There's no guarantee that having spent four years and upwards of 60 kilocreds, you'll have anything at all. Well, you'd have a degree, he pointed out. A degree in being an officer? Well, what good is that if you don't pass the test? 
He laughed out loud at that. Mr. Huang, you are a test-taking machine. Do you seriously mean to sit there and tell me that having completed four years of extensive, intensive, and specialized training, specifically established to teach you what you need to know in order to pass that test, you think you might actually fail it? Well, put that way, sir, I said. Ishmael, I came through the academy myself. I graduated three stanyards ago. I'm going to sit for second in a few months. I went because I wanted to sail in the deep dark. I could have been a deckhand, and we need deckhands, but somebody encouraged me to look beyond the bill. I'm not going to tell you it's not hard. It's damned hard. I'm not going to tell you it's cheap. It's not cheap. The question is whether or not it's worth it, and you're the only one who can decide that. I think you'd be a good officer. What you believe is up to you. Thanks, sir, I told him. I appreciate the candor. Chapter 4 Dunsany Road System, 2352, May 15. We were 21 days out of Dunsany Roads and just securing for transition at about 10.30 when Brill broke the news that the captain was going to wait until Buttress to give me the promotion to Spec 3. I'm so sorry, Ish, she said when she came back from the captain's pre jump briefing. It's a time and grade thing. You're so junior that they don't want to jump you up that fast. I told you before, it doesn't matter to me, I said. Thanks for pushing it forward, but don't waste any more time on it. We'll be in Betris in a few weeks. Besides, I figured that was going to happen. Mr. Von Nichols wouldn't have mentioned it otherwise. But it's not fair, Diane said. There's no minimum time and grade for that slot. It's okay, Diane, I said again. I wasn't sure why she was so upset about it, but something had her all in a snarl. Brill was still being funny about the academy thing. For the previous two weeks, I couldn't get her to talk to me, even during the day and when we were the only two there. All she'd say was, you have to make up your own mind. I have made up my mind. I'm not going, I kept telling her. She kept being funny about it and refusing to talk to me. We jumped into Betris at 10.35 and secured to normal operations at 10.45, so I went on my VSI and tried to forget about it. It was a nice day for a walk, and it got me out of the section for a while. There'd only be a few ticks left before Diane relieved me, and I could go run a few laps, maybe take a nap. I'd already started on the Messman and Cargoman exams. By the next cycle in July, I'd be ready to take them on, and I'd have a whole set of full-share ratings. The problem is that I was no closer to figuring out who I was. I wasn't even sure what that meant. The VSI was almost as good as a run for clearing my head, though. I had to concentrate on punching the test sequence buttons in order for about a hundred of the sensor packages stretched across the length and breadth of the ship in the correct sequence. By this time, I thought I could do it in my sleep, but every time I got a little distracted, I'd walk past one and have to backtrack. I made it back to the section by 10.30 and had a few ticks to spare before Diane relieved me. I thought Diane was right, though. Perhaps this was one of those questions best left to puddle in the back of my mind. Really, it was a kind of an artificial crisis. What matter if I decided today or even this week? We were 20 days out of Betris and nothing was likely to change before that. That was a fast flip day and I had to be back on watch at 1800, so I grabbed a quick lunch. Cookie had made a delicious lamb with garlic dish that he served with egg noodles and sweet pea pods. Going through the line, I saw Sarah Krug was looking almost healthy again. She'd been pretty badly abused when we picked her up as a replacement crew in St. Cloud three months before. She came aboard with visible bruises on her arms and face, and some not-so-obvious ones as well. Pip found her a bit disconcerting because she claimed to be the daughter of a South Coast shaman. Personally, if there is such a thing as a shaman's gift or power, whatever you wanted to call it, I really believe she might have it. It was just too much we didn't understand in the universe for me to say it didn't exist or wasn't possible. She certainly had a magic touch with biscuits. 
Cookie's biscuits were good, but he had yet to be able to match her results. I wondered if it bothered him if he just saw it as a challenge. Seeing them working together, I also wondered if maybe Cookie wasn't a bit of a shaman himself. Spec 1, Chef Ralph Al-Maliki from the Mabili sector was the undisputed head of the galley, but he always seemed a bit strange. In a good way, and nothing you could really put your finger on, but strange. I always chalked it up to intuition and good observational skills, but whatever it was, I saw the same thing in Sarah, so maybe it wasn't so far-fetched an idea. Together, they were amazing. Pip was the one I thought must feel left out. When I'd been on the mess deck, Pip and I were joined at the hip. Now I had to practically make an appointment to see him. Not that he was all that busy, but because being on the watchstand or merry-go-round, I needed to arrange to be where he was when he wasn't working or sleeping. Pip was standing next to Sarah at the serving line, and he grinned his trademark grin at me. Hey, Ish, we need to talk. Meet me here at 1400? You bet. Whatever it was, it was usually distracting and often humorous. Thanks. Now, move along. People are trying to get fed here, he teased me. I missed him, which started me thinking of other people I missed, like the second mate from the Duchamps. I sighed. Talk about your long-distance non-relationships. She was about a hundred billion kilometers over in the bank system. I still missed her and would occasionally bury my face in my civilian jacket just to smell her. Gods, but was I an idiot. And speaking of merry-go-round, I settled at a table to eat my lunch, plagued by the same question that was supposed to be puddled in the back of my head and ripening. Who am I and what did I want? You seem even more distracted than normal-ish, Sandy Belterson said from across the table. Spec 3 astrogation, Sandra, Sandy, Belterson, was what my mother would have called a peach. She'd been the first person I'd met on the ship because she'd been on lock watch when Pip picked me up at the shuttle. Pip didn't count in this because I didn't meet him on the ship, but actually outside the shuttle bay at Neris Orbital. Hey, Sandy, I said with a wry grin. You might say that. Things have been weird this trip. She laughed at that. Things have always been weird-ish, she said. You're just getting tuned into it. I had to admit that there was probably more to that than I wanted to believe. So, tell your Aunt Sandy, she wheedled. Well, it started two days out of Dunsany when Brill said I had to start figuring out who I was because she didn't think I wanted to be slopping sludge when I was fifty. Ouch. That seems a little harsh, she said. What'd you say? She's right, I said. I do need to start figuring that out. But the thing is, I thought I was. Just coming out here on the ship was a step. I've learned so much. I sighed and ate some of the lamb and pasta. It was scrumptious. So what's the problem? she asked again. Well, during the exams a couple of weeks back, I was taking the Spec 2 exam in environmental. Spec 2? she asked. I thought the birth was Spec 3. It is, but I got off to an odd start in my studies and wound up taking the Spec 2 test. Did you pass? she asked. Oh, yeah, I told her. But the important part is that Mr. Von Nichols asked if I'd ever considered the academy. At Port Newmar? she asked. Had you? I grabbed another bite before continuing. The lamb was delicious, and I was hungrier than I thought. Watchstanding will do that. Yes and no. Yes to Port Newmar, and no, I'd never considered it. So what happened? Sandy asked with a certain amount of amusement in her eyes. Am I entertaining you? I asked with a chuckle. Yes, actually, so don't stop now, she retorted. So I told Brill that Mr. Von Nichols had ordered me to consider it, and she's been persnickety ever since. Not surprising, she said. Then what? Wait, I said, not surprising. She nodded. If you go to the academy, you'll have to leave the lowest. Yeah, I got that part on my own, I said with a smile. Well, do you think Brill wants you to leave this ship? She prompted me. I don't think so. But what's that got to do with it? She was the one who started it by asking me to figure out who I am. 
when you think that going to the Academy might fall into that figuring-it-out category? Oh, Ish, how would you feel if Brill left the ship? Devastated, of course, I told her without flinching. Well, you think she wants you to leave the ship? Isn't that what figuring out who I am means, I asked her. Perhaps it might also mean finding a job on the lowest that will keep you going for the next 90 to 100 years, something that doesn't involve sludge, she suggested. Giving out good advice is pretty easy until you get slapped with the reality of that advice taken to its logical conclusion. Meaning there's a big gap between what she thought she was suggesting and the reality of it? Sandy shrugged. It's possible. She paused. Would you consider leaving the lowest for any reason? I thought about it. It was a fair question. The Lois is my home now. She took me in when my mother died, and I'm really happy to be here. She shrugged. So what's the problem? Stay and enjoy your life aboard. I ate a while. You ever wonder why there's not any old spacers? She asked me, out of left field. What do you mean? We have some old spacers aboard the Lois. Really? Who? She asked. And if you look in my direction again, buddy, you're going to be plucking that plate out of your rectal region, she added with a grin. <laughs> Well, Francis is 50, I said, trying to think of anybody older. How old do you think he'll live, Esh? She asked conversationally. 130, 140, maybe, I answered. So what makes him old? He's still in the first half of his life. She had me on that one, and she knew it. I don't know, I admitted. I do. The only people older are the captain and Mr. Maxwell. He's an old spacer because you don't have anybody to compare him to. He's actually a pretty young man still. I thought back to my mom's colleagues at university and realized she was right. Many of them have been over a hundred and still teaching a full load. There are actually older people around, but you don't find them on ships like the Lois. They're the moms and the pops and the mom-and-pop ships, the extended family members and the family co-ops. You don't run across them in spacer bars, and you don't see them at the union hall. Why? Think about it. If you work for yourself and you have your family around you, why would you go out to a spacer bar and get in that whole scene? Why would you look for a new birth? Oh. Oh, indeed, she said. Ish, most people work commercial like this for maybe 10, 20 stand years, and then they get out. Crew is ultimately a dead-end job. It's fun for a while, as you found out in Dunsany Roads, but it begins to wear. Eventually, you get tired of chasing, and you want to start building. Brill's coming up on the 10 stand year mark. I've only been doing this for five, and I'm already thinking about getting out and settling down myself. I'm not officer material. I just don't have any interest in it. Well, what about officers, I asked. Officers are different. It's a difference between labor and management. Where labor, they're management. They make a lot more money. They have a lot more opportunities. They work very hard for both, but if you're an officer, you can always get your master's ticket and get your own ship and run it your own way. Well, that assumes a lot of money and smarts, I said. Well, what doesn't? Anybody can sit for an officer exam. A lot of people who never went to the academy do it every cycle. They just need to pay the fees, show up on time, and take it. The problem comes later. If you've got a master's ticket, you can get a ship and work it. You're right, that takes a lot of money, but if you're a mate, you need to convince somebody to hire you. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, say you're a skipper and you want to hire a second mate. Are you going to hire the one who studied on his own and passed the exam, or are you going to hire the one with a degree from the academy and pass the exam? Oh. Sometimes I'm really stupid. Of course, I said. Sandy shrugged. Now, aren't you glad you talked to your Aunt Sandy? Well, I'm no closer to figuring out who I am, but you've given me a lot to think about. Hang in there, Ish. You're in a tough place right now. It gets better. She said it with a warm smile. Thanks, Sandy. 
I finished my lunch, so I bust the dishes and headed for birthing. I set my tablet to blip me at 1350, so I'd be sure to catch up with Pip. Luckily, I did, too, because it bit me awake before I'd realized I was asleep. Chapter 5. Betra System, 2352, May 15. Pip was just putting away the swab from the afternoon cleanup when I stuck my head into the galley. It seemed so familiar, like I'd just stepped out of it. But it also felt like I hadn't been there in a year. Three months on the watchstand and merry-go-round had done a lot of odd things to my time sense. "'What's going on, Pip?' I asked to get his attention. He grinned and waved. "'You've been such a stranger, I wanted to touch base on Betris.' We got coffee and settled at one of the tables. "'So what's the latest off the beacon?' I asked. "'Prices are good.' We got a bunch of mixed cargo for the ship in the empty container, and we laid in extra frozen chicken and beef for the stores trading. We should do okay. The empty container started as a kind of challenge for Mr. Maxwell to pip. The basic rule was to fill an empty container in this port with goods the ship could sell in the next. When we'd started, we thought it was a kind of fantasy cargo game that Mr. Maxwell was playing to test Pip's cargo tracking. We were a little shocked to find the container filled on the way out of Gugara. So far, Pip's empty container had contributed about 200 kilocreds to the ship's profit pool. The store's trading scheme that he and Cookie had come up with was working even better. The ship carried stores for four months underway. Typically, we were only out between 40 and 60 days. That meant we carried a lot of extra stores from place to place. Pip had worked out a system of rotation and procurement that allowed them to trade in the surplus stores. They bought extra of whatever was going cheap in one port and loaded it into the surplus stores locker. We always had our 120 days of stores, but with the way they moved it in and out, buying and selling and trading in each port of call, they'd managed to make a cost center and turn it into a revenue center. They were actually feeding the crew better than before and making creds doing it. It sounded like perpetual motion to me, but the food was there and the captain was pleased. I wonder what kind of simulations he'd created on my portable that let him do this kind of work. He had automated routines that updated his own personal trade database and some of the simulations for pairs of planets along with his level one alternatives, which were the reports that Lois might go to instead based on our current position. Mr. Maxwell had been pretty impressed and I thought that he might be grooming Pip for something. Pip deserved it. He was a good guy. So I was thinking we'd just barbecue the kids and sell the parents as slaves, Pip was saying. What? Welcome back, he said with a grin. I chuckled. Sorry, I'm a bit distracted. So I see. He sipped his coffee. You want to see the figures after Dunsany? Are they good, I asked. Very. We're walking out with about 5,100 credits and the co-op grabbed another 500. There's a waiting list for booth manager going into Betris and I think we'll have something like 75% of the crew selling there. I smiled. Up from 50% in St. Cloud. Yep, Pip said. Something like that. Word is spreading and even people who weren't really doing it too seriously are now climbing on the cargo train, he said with a grin. I wouldn't be too surprised if Mr. Von Eichels got into the act, I told him. We had a little discussion about the co-op when I tested last cycle. What do you say? Pip asked curiously. We make more than he does. Pip laughed at that. Probably so, he said. Third mates get a good share in salary, but as lucky as we've been lately, we probably make as much as a captain. Well, if it hadn't been for Sarah selling all those lucky stones in St. Cloud, we'd be crawling out of there with a whole lot less than we are, I told him. Give credit where credit's due. Pip paused at that. She's good. Do you suppose she cast a spell or something to get all those people to buy at ten creds? He asked quietly. He gave one of those little back-and-forth looks to see if anybody heard him asking stupid questions. I grinned. I don't know. She is a South Coast shaman, after all. She stayed up all night stringing the stones onto leather thongs and blessing them. Maybe she worked some kind of compulsion into them at the same time, I suggested with a small shrug. 
He looked at me sharply with a shocked expression. You don't think, he started to say, and then saw my grin. Gotcha, I said. We both laughed at that. As many times as he's gotten me, it seemed only fair. I realized that I missed him. We had such fun in those months when we worked hip to hip in the galley. How's she doing, I asked finally. Pip knew I meant Sarah. She's getting better. Works with Cookie every day on bread. They've started changing the soup stocks, too. One word, yum. They get together, and it's, I hate to use the word, but magical. She cuts him no slack at all, and he seems to enjoy it, too. He stopped there and gave a little shrug. That's like a father-daughter thing, almost. I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know much about fathers, I told him. Mine was somewhere out there in the Diurnia quadrant, but I didn't know where. For all I knew, he could be on the ship, and I wouldn't know it. Well, other than I'd see his name on the roster. After we went to Neris, I'd never heard from him again. All Mom would ever say was, He's a good man, Ishmael. We just can't stand each other. Well, there's good and bad there, Pip said with a grin. Pip's father owned two ships, and Pip had had to get his aunt's help to get aboard a freighter to escape the paternal clutches. What is the story with your family, Pip? I asked. Dad casts a long shadow. I told you that, he said, looking into his mug. Yeah, but what does that mean? I pressed. It means that so long as I stayed on his ship, ships now, I was going to have to do what he wanted. I wanted to do something else. That's no answer. What did he want you to do? Look, all I ever wanted to do was cargo systems and projections. Buying and selling is like, well, I suppose it must be what gamblers get addicted to, he said. I started working on my earliest systems when I was ten. They were terrible, but they got better. Mom was a cargo picker on our ship. She knew what she wanted to move, and she had a gift for finding the deals. Nobody could out-haggle her. He said it with a faraway look. So what happened? I asked. Wouldn't they let you pick cargo? Some. But they were always second-guessing my projections. Once in a while they'd let me pick some, but my projections were beating their actuals by a factor of two, he scowled. They just didn't listen to me. I sipped my coffee thoughtfully. You need to clean this urn, I told him idly. What? I held up my cup and said, Number two is beginning to pick up some scum inside. Rinse it down with vinegar and hot water when you cycle it next time. My mouth was on autopilot, but I was thinking about what he said. Sounded like every father-son cliché in the book. I grinned then, remembering Diane telling me that clichés have to be true enough for people to recognize them. So what broke it for you? I got back on subject. What pushed you over the edge? About the time I was getting ready to get my secondary ed certifications, they started pressing me about going on to school. I snorted. Lucky guy, you should live with a professor. He chuckled at that, I bet. So why didn't you go, I asked. I agreed to go just to get her off my back. There was a bittersweet overlay on that one. I'd agreed, but she'd died. Now I couldn't, and I thought I might want to. How perverse was that? Well, they wanted me to follow in their footsteps, go to their school. They were getting quite adamant, even filled out the applications for me, and they were lining up their classmates to provide the recommendations. Dad was more interested in my carrying on his reputation than what I wanted, he said bitterly. They'd done everything but buy the tickets to Port Newmar. Port Newmar? I asked with a little prickle of disbelief. Don't tell me they wanted to send you to the academy. That's what I've been telling you, Pip said, with no small amount of exasperation. Sorry, I'm a little slow today. I just woke up from a nap, I told him with a grin. Why didn't you want to go to the academy? I asked, in what I hoped was a neutral tone. Four years of coursework, just so I can take the test to be able to do what I already do? Well, if you put it that way, I said. Besides, I can sit for the exam any time. I don't need to go to the academy first. Really? I asked. Not to bring up a bad memory, but do you remember your cargoman exam? Of course. It was horrible. Philip Carstairs, cargo genius, 
couldn't take tests to save his life. He knew the material backwards and forwards, but he couldn't pass the written exam. I'd arranged with the education officer to get him an oral exam, and he passed. Not just his cargo handler, but actually jumped up to cargoman. I just looked at him for a few ticks, and he finally lost a belligerent expression and looked down into his coffee cup. I probably couldn't pass it even with the four years of coursework, he said bitterly into his mug. Why, Philip Carstairs, do you mean to sit there and tell me that after having completed four years of extensive, intensive, and specialized training, specifically established to teach you what you know in order to pass that test, you think you might actually fail it? I asked him with a grin. From behind me, I heard Mr. Von Eckel's chuckle. Very good question, Ishmael. I couldn't have said it better myself. He took his refilled coffee cup and sauntered off the mess deck. Damn, this ship seems small sometimes, I said. I could feel myself turning red. Pip looked at me with his head cocked slightly. Why do I get the feeling that there's more going on here than meets the eye? He asked with a grin. Probably because it's the lowest, I said. There's always more than meets the eye. Don't make me come over there and hurt you, he said. You know I can, and I would. What was that all about? I got that same question from Mr. Von Nichols when I took the Able Spacer exam. I thought you took the Spec 3 test, he said. Yep, I took that too, and I'm halfway to being full share in all four divisions. Are you still on about that? he asked incredulously. I shrugged. Why not? You're never going to get put ashore. What's the point? What else do I have to do? The more I know, the better off I am. I learned a few things on the spacer exam I didn't know. Besides, it doesn't cost anything but time and brain cells. I've got a lot of the first, although I'm beginning to doubt the second. Pip laughed. Wait, how did this question come up with Mr. Von Nichols? He ordered me to consider the academy. I did. I told him it didn't seem worth it to me because at the end I still had to take the test. I waited for all that to percolate through Pip's brain. Oh, he said finally, how did it even come up? Everybody's been on about what I'm going to do with my life since we left Dunsany, I told him, a bit bitterly. Well, after that performance, they probably figure you need a keeper. I chuckled, but it still hurt to think too much about Alvarez, so I didn't pursue it. Pip drained his coffee then and said, Come on, gym time. I need to get in a workout before we start dinner, and you'll look like you could use a run. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig, originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran, and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandas, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandas.org slash golden. <laughs>